Welcome in the Great Khan's Tent. History, Literature and Storytelling In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on YouTube. You can find us using this podcast name. Fear not, listeners, episodes will still be released on this podcast first, and it is only after a delay of a week that I will upload them onto YouTube. You can still find us on all your podcast providers first. Are you interested in getting the book you just published reviewed? Writing some piece of literature and need help getting it out there and promoted? Interested in sharing what piece of literature we should cover next? Well, fret not. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on Patreon, where your contribution can help in growing this podcast. For as low as $3 a month, a price less than a good, and I mean good, cup of coffee, you can help contribute to the growth of this podcast. Every bit helps, but as always, it is not necessary to do so, but will be appreciated. Find the Patreon link on our website, on our social media accounts, or email us and we can send it to you. Thank you. If you have any suggestions, comments, or complaints, please be sure to email us at all lowercase in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. That is in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. We would love to hear from our listeners. Thank you for listening, and now on with the show. In this episode, we continue our 1001 Nights narration with the finale of The Case of the Tailor, The Humpback, The Jew, The Inspector, and The Christian, or known as The Story of the Humpback with Night 34. This has been a long tale first begun during Night 25 and reaches a satisfying conclusion for all parties involved in this tale. We begin a new tale that of the story of Nuruddin and Anas al-Jalis with Night 35. The story of Nuruddin and Anas al-Jalis is one of the core stories known in The 1001 Nights, with it being present in one of the oldest manuscripts extant of this work. The story is similarly framed to the earlier story we encountered, Nuruddin and his son, and Shamsuddin Muhammad and his daughter, in that the two central characters in this plot are viziers of a singular sultan. However, unlike the earlier story, they are both polar opposites of one another. As we reach and continue to explore the central core stories found in the manuscripts of the 1001 Nights, it might behoove us if we pay attention to how these core stories may have influenced other stories, some found earlier and some we will encounter later, and how similar characters can be found in them. As we reach the end of the Gregorian calendar for 2023, I would like to take this opportunity to thank all of our listeners for sticking with us and hopefully you continue to support us in the new year. May Allah bless you all and have a happy holiday whatever you are celebrating. Auzubillah minashaitan nirajim, bismillahirrahman nirrahim. In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful. Praise be to God, the beneficent King, the creator of the universe, who has raised the heavens without pillars and spread out the earth as a bed. And blessings and peace be upon the Lord of Apostles, 
Our Lord and Master Muhammad Wasallam and his family. Blessings and peace, enduring and constant unto the day of judgment. Of a verity, the doings of the ancients become a lesson to those that follow after, so that men look upon the admonitory events that have happened to others and take warning, and come to the knowledge of what befell bygone peoples and are restrained thereby. So glory be to him who hath appointed the things that have been done aforetime for an example to those that have come after. And of these admonitory instances are the histories called the Thousand and One Nights, with all their store of illustrious fables and relations. Sherzad continued, Now I have come unto thee, O prince of the faithful, continued the barber, and feared to return to my house without relating to thee these facts, for to neglect doing so had been an error. Thus thou hast seen that although having six brothers, I am of a more upright character than they. But when the prince of the faithful had heard my story, and all that I had related to him respecting my brothers, he laughed and said, Thou hast spoken truth, O Summit, thou art a person of few words, and devoid of impertinence. You told the truth, silent man, when you said that you are a man of few words, lacking in inquisitiveness. Now, however, depart from the city, and take up thine abode in another. So he banished me from Baghdad by official decree, and I journeyed through various countries, and traversed many regions, until I heard of his death and of the succession of another Khalifa. So I went back to Baghdad, where I found that my brothers were dead. I met with this young man, unto whom I did the best of deeds, for whom I did a very great service, and who, had it not been for me, had been slain. Yet he hath accused me of that which is not in my character, for all that he hath related of me with respect to impertinence and loquacity and dullness and want of taste is false, O people. It is because of him that I have wandered around many lands before arriving here, where I have found him with you. Is this not, good people, an example of my sense of honor? The tailor proceeded thus, when we heard the story of the barber, and were convinced of his impertinence, listened to his long-windedness and loquacity, and that the young man had been treated unjustly by him, we seized hold upon him, and put him in confinement, and seating ourselves to keep watch over him, ate and drank, and the feast was finished in the most agreeable manner. We remained sitting together until the call to afternoon prayers, when I went forth and returned to my house. But my wife looked angrily at me, and said, Thou hast been all the day enjoying thine pleasure, while I have been sitting at home sorrowful. Now if thou go not forth with me and amuse me for the remainder of the day, thy refusal will be the cause of my separation from thee. So I took her and went out with her, and we amused ourselves until nightfall, when returning home we met this humpback full of drink and repeating verses, and was reciting these lines. The glass is clear, and so is the wine. They are like one another, and so is this affair. It looks as though there is wine without a glass, or as though there is a glass with no wine.
upon which I invited him to come home with us, and he consented. I then went forth to buy some fried fish, and having brought it and returned, we sat down to eat, and my wife took a morsel of bread and a piece of fish, and put them into his mouth and choked him, so that he died, whereupon I took him up and contrived to throw him into the house of this physician, and he contrived to throw him into the house of the steward, and the steward contrived to throw him in the way of the broker. This is a story of what happened to me yesterday. Is it not more wonderful than that of the humpback? When the sultan had heard this story, he shook his head with delight and showed his astonishment, saying, The tale of what happened between the young man and the inquisitive barber is pleasanter and better than the story of the hunchback. He ordered certain of his chamberlains to go with the tailor and to bring the barber, saying to them, His presence is indispensable, that I may hear his talk, and it may be the cause of the deliverance of you all. I want to listen to what he has to say, for he is the reason why I am letting you all go free. Then we will bury this humpback decently in the earth. Night 34 Morning now dawned, and Shehrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Then, when it was the thirty-fourth night, she continued, I have heard, O auspicious Shahanshah, that the Sultan said, Fetch me the barber, for he is the reason why I am letting you all go free. We shall then bury the hump back, for he hath been dead since yesterday and we will make him a monument around his grave, since he hath been the occasion of our acquaintance with these wonderful stories. The chamberlain and the tailor soon came back after, having gone to the place of confinement, and brought the barber whom they placed before the sultan, and when the sultan beheld him, he saw him to be an old man, past his ninetieth year, of dark countenance and white beard, and his eyebrows with small ears, and long nose, and a foolish expression, and a haughty aspect. The sultan laughed at the sight of him, and said to him, O silent man, I desire that thou relate to me somewhat of thy stories. O sultan of the age, replied the barber, what is the occasion of the presence of this Christian, and this Jew, and this Muslim, and this humpback lying dead among you, and what is the reason of this assembly? Wherefore dost thou ask this? said the sultan. The barber answered, I ask it in order that the sultan may know me to be no impertinent person, nor one who meddleth with that which doth not concern him, and I am free from the loquacity of which they accuse me, for I am fortunate in my characteristic appellation, since they have surnamed me Al-Summit. I have my share in the quality this name indicates, and as the poet hath said, seldom hast thou seen a person honoured with a surname, but thou wilt find, if thou search, that his character is expressed by it. As the poet says, you seldom find a man with a subriquet, which, if you look, does not contain his quality. 
The Sultan therefore said, Explain to the barber the case of this humpback and what happened to him yesterday evening, and explain to him also what the Christian hath related, and the Jew, and the steward, and the tailor. So they repeated to him the stories of all these persons. But there is nothing to be gained in repetition. The barber thereupon shook his head, saying, By Allah, this is a wonderful thing. Uncover this humpback, that I may examine him. And they did so. He then seated himself at his head, and taking it up, placed it upon his lap, and looked at his face, and laughed so violently, that he fell backwards, exclaiming, For every death there is a cause, and the death of this humpback is most wonderful. It is worthy of being registered in the records, that posterity may be instructed by this event. Every death is a wonder, he said, but the death of this humpback deserves to be written in letters of gold. The sultan, astonished at his words, said, O Summit, explain to us the reason of thy saying this. O sultan, replied the barber, by thy beneficence, life is yet in the humpback. I swear by the truth of your grace that there is still life in this lying humpback. He then drew forth from his bosom a pot containing some ointment, and with this he anointed the neck and the neck veins of the humpback, after which he covered it up until it perspired, when he took forth an iron forcep and put it down his throat, and extracted the piece of fish with its bone, and all the people saw them. The humpback now sprang upon his feet and sneezed, and recovering his consciousness, drew his hands over his face and exclaimed, There is no deity but Allah. Muhammad is Allah's apostle. Allah bless and save him. I bear witness that there is no God but Allah, and that Muhammad is the apostle of Allah. And all those who were present were astonished at the sight. By Allah, said the Sultan, this is something remarkable, and I have never seen anything more strange. And the Sultan laughed until he became insensible, as did also the other spectators. The Sultan exclaimed, By Allah, this accident is wonderful. I have never witnessed anything more strange. And added, O Muslims, O assembly of soldiers, have ye ever in the course of your lives seen anyone die and after that come to life? But had not Allah blessed him with this barber, the humpback had been today numbered among the people of the other world. For the barber hath been the means of restoring him to life. They replied, This is indeed a wonderful thing. By Allah, they said, this is a wonder of wonders. The Sultan then gave orders to record this event, and when they had done so, he placed the record in the royal library, and he bestowed dresses of honor upon the Jew, and the Christian, and the steward, upon each of them a costly dress. The tailor he appointed to be his own tailor, granting him regular allowances, and reconciling him and the humpback with each other, and at his command they left. The humpback he honored with a rich and beautiful dress, and with similar allowances, and appointed him his cup companion, 
and upon the barber he also conferred the like favors, rewarding him with a costly dress of honor, regular allowances, and a fixed salary, and appointing him state barber and his own cup companion. So they all lived in the utmost happiness and comfort until they were visited by the terminator of delights and the separator of friends. This is not more remarkable, said Shahrazad, than the story of the two viziers and Anas al-Jalis. How was that? asked Dunyazad. Shahrazad began. The story of Nuruddin and Anas al-Jalis. There was in al-Basra a certain sultan who loved the poor and indigent, the beggars and all his subjects, and regarded his subjects with benevolence. He bestowed of his wealth upon him who believed in Muhammad and was such as one of the poets who have written of him hath thus described. He used his lances as pens and the hearts of his enemies as paper, their blood being his ink, and hence I imagine our forefathers applied to the lance the term khatiye. He fitted the description given of him by a poet. A sultan who, when squadrons circled around, cut through his foes with sharp and piercing blades. His writing could be read upon their breasts while he assaulted the riders with his spear. The name of the sultan was Muhammad, the son of Suleiman al-Zaini, and he had two viziers, one of whom was named al-Moin, the son of Sawi, and the other Al-Fadl, the son of Khaqan. Al-Fadl, the son of Khaqan, was the most generous of the people of his age, upright in conduct, so that all hearts agreed in loving him, and the wise complied with his counsel, and all the people supplicated for him length of life, for he was a person of auspicious aspect, a preventer of evil and mischief. But the vizier Al-Muin, the son of Sawi hated others and loved not good. He was a man of inauspicious aspect, and in the same degree that the people loved Fadl al-Din, the son of Khaqan, so did they abhor al-Muin, the son of Sawi, in accordance with the decree of the Almighty. As the poet has it, take refuge with the noble sons of noble men, for all these in turn will father noble sons, abandon the mean descendants of the mean, for those whom these produce are mean as well. Now the Sultan Muhammad, the son of Sultan Az-Zaini, was sitting one day upon his throne, surrounded by the officers of his court, and he called to his vizier, Al-Fadl, the son of Khaqan, and said to him, I desire a female slave unsurpassed in beauty by any in her age, of perfect loveliness and exquisite symmetry, and endowed with all praiseworthy qualities. Such as this, replied his courtiers, is not to be found for less than ten thousand pieces of gold. And the sultan thereupon called out to the treasurer, saying, Carry ten thousand pieces of gold to the house of Al-Fadl, the son of Khaqan. So the treasurer did as he commanded, and the vizier departed, after the sultan had ordered him to repair every day to the market, 
and commissioned the brokers to procure what he had described, and had commanded also that no female slave of a greater price than one thousand pieces of gold should be sold without having been shown to the wazir. The brokers therefore sold no female slave without showing her to him, and he complied with the sultan's command, and thus he continued to do for a considerable time, no slave pleasing him. The brokers carried out this instruction, but none of their girls won Al-Fadl's approval. But on a certain day, one of the brokers came to the mansion of the vizier Al-Fadl, and found that he had mounted to repair to the palace of the sultan, and he laid hold upon his stirrup and repeated these two verses. O thou who hath reanimated what was rotten in the state, thou art the vizier ever aided by heaven. Thou hast revived the noble qualities that were extinct among men. May thy conduct never cease to be approved by Allah. And recited, You who unfold royal commands, you who enjoy continued happiness, your generosity has brought life to the dead, and Allah rewards your efforts with his favor. He then said, O my master, the female slave for the procuring of whom the noble mandate was issued hath arrived. The vizier replied, Bring her hither to me. So the man returned, and after a short absence, came again accompanied by a damsel of eloquent stature, high-bosomed, with black eyelashes, and smooth cheek, and slender waist, and large hips, clad in the handsomest apparel. The moisture of her lips was sweeter than syrup, her figure put to shame the branches of the oriental willow, and her speech was more soft than the zephyr passing over the flowers of the garden. As one of her describers hath thus expressed, her skin is like silk, and her speech is soft, neither redundant nor deficient. Her eyes, Allah said to them, be, and they were, affecting men's hearts with the potency of wine. May my love for her grow more warm each night and cease not until the day of judgment. The locks on her brow are dark as night, while her forehead shines like the gleam of morning. She was, as a poet has described, wonderful in her beauty, with a grace like full moon, the people's darling, sweet as raisins and as juice. The Lord of Heaven has exalted her with charm and understanding and a slender form. The heavens of her face hold seven stars that guide her cheeks against all those who watch. If someone tries to steal a glance at her, the devils in her eyes burn him with meteors. When the vizier beheld her, she pleased him extremely, and he looked towards the broker and said to him, What is the price of this damsel? The broker answered, The price bidden for her hath amounted to ten thousand pieces of gold, and her owner hath sworn that this sum doth not equal the cost of the chickens which she hath eaten, nor the cost of the dresses which she hath bestowed upon her teachers, for she hath learnt writing and grammar, calligraphy, philology, and lexology, and the interpretation of the Quran, and the fundamentals of law and religion, and medicine, and the computation of the calendar, and the art of playing upon musical instruments. The vizier then said, Bring to me her master, and the broker immediately brought him, and lo, he was a foreigner, 
who had lived so long that time had reduced him to bones and skin, as the poet has said. How hath time made me to tremble, for time is powerful and severe. I used to walk without being weary. Now I am weary and do not walk. As the poet puts it, time has shaken me, and what a shaking, for time the powerful acts with violence. I used to walk and not be tired, but now I tire and cannot walk. And the vizier said to him, Art thou content to receive for this damsel ten thousand pieces of gold from the Sultan Muhammad, the son of Suleiman, as Zaini? The foreigner answered, As she is for the Sultan, it is incumbent on me to give her as a present to him without price. So the vizier upon this ordered that the money should be brought, and then weighed the pieces of gold for the foreigner, after which the slave broker addressed the vizier and said, With the permission of our lord, the vizier, I will speak. Impart what thou hast to say, replied the vizier. It is my opinion, then, said the broker, that thou shouldest not take up this damsel to the sultan today, for she hath just arrived from her journey, and the change of air hath affected her, and the journey hath fatigued her. But rather let her remain with thee in thy place ten days, that she may take rest, and her beauty will improve. Then cause her to be taken into the bath, and attire her in clothes of the handsomest description, and go up with her to the sultan. So shalt thou experience more abundant good fortune. And the vizier considered the advice of the slave broker, and approved it. He therefore took her into his palace, and gave her a private apartment to herself, allotting her every day what she required of food and drink and other supplies, and she continued a while in this state of enjoyment. Now the vizier al-Fadl had a son, like the shining full moon, with brilliant countenance and red cheek, marked with a mole like a gobule of ambergris, and with grey down as the poet has fully described a moon whose glances when he looks are murderous a branch whose figure breaks hearts when he bends his locks are black and his complexion gold his character is sweet his frame is a spear shaft hard of heart and soft of waist why not move quickly from one to the other were the softness of his waist found in his heart he would never injure or offend his lover you who blame me for loving him absolve me from all guilt who will help me now my body is worn away the fault belongs to my heart and to my eye stop blaming me leave me in my distress the youth knew not of this damsel and his father had charged her saying know that i have purchased thee for the sultan muhammad the son of suleiman az zaini and that i have a son who hath not left a girl in the quarter without making love to her therefore keep thyself concealed from him and beware of showing him thy face or suffering him to hear thy voice the damsel replied i hear and obey and he left her and departed and it happened as fate had ordained that she went one day into the bath which was in the house and after certain of the female slaves had bathed her she attired herself in rich apparel and her beauty and loveliness increased in consequence 
she then went in to the vizier's wife and kissed her hand and she said to her bless you may it be favourable o anis algelis how didst thou find this bath are our baths not lovely o my mistress she replied i wanted nothing but thy presence there and upon this the mistress of the house said to the female slaves arise and let us go into the bath and they complied with her command and went accompanied by their mistress who first charged two young slave girls to keep the door of the private apartment in which was anis algelis's saying to them suffer no one to go into the damsel and they replied we hear and obey but while anis algelis was sitting in her chamber lo the vizier's son whose name was ali nurdin came in and asked after his mother and the family the two girls answered they are gone into the bath now the damsel anis algelis heard the speech of ali nuruddin as she sat in her chamber and she said within herself i wonder what this youth is like of whom the vizier hath told me that he hath not left a girl in the quarter without making love to her by allah i have a desire to see him she then rose upon her feet fresh as she was from the bath and approaching the door of the chamber looked at ali nuruddin and beheld him to be a youth like the full moon the sight of him occasioned her a thousand sighs nuruddin turned and noticed her and he too was left a thousand sighs and a look from the youth at her affected him also in the same manner each was caught in the snare of the other's love and the youth approached the two slave girls and cried out at them whereupon they fled before him and stopped at a distance looking to see what he would do he then advanced to the door of the chamber and opening it went in and said to the damsel art thou she whom my father had purchased for me she answered yes and upon this the youth who was in a state of intoxication went up to her and embraced her while she in a like manner threw her arms around his neck and kissed him when she said yes he went up to her and under the influence of wine he took hold of her legs and wound them around his waist she entwined her arms around his neck and received him with kisses sighs and coquetry he sucked her tongue and she sucked his and then he took her maidenhead but the two slave girls having seen their young master enter the chamber of the damsel anis algelis cried out the youth therefore soon ran forth and fled for safety fearing the consequence of his intrusion he had already had his way with her and when the mistress of the house heard the cry of the two slave girls she came out dripping from the bath saying what is the cause of this cry in the house and when she drew near to the two slave girls whom she had placed at the door of the private chamber she said to them woe to you what is the matter they answered as soon as they beheld her our master ali nuruddin came to us and beat us and we fled from him and he went into the chamber of anis algelis and embraced her we don't know what he did then and when we cried out to thee he fled the mistress of the house then went to anis algelis and said 
to her. What is the news? Oh, my mistress, she answered. As I was sitting here, a youth of handsome person came in to me and said to me, Art thou she whom my father had purchased for me? And I answered, Yes. By Allah, O my mistress, I believed that what he said was true. And he came up to me and embraced me and kissed me three times and left me overcome by his love. He certainly did not leave you without deflowering you, said the lady. Upon this the mistress of the house wept and slapped her face, and her female slaves did the like, fearing for Ali Nuruddin, lest his father should slay him. And while they were in this state, lo, the vizier came in and inquired what had happened. His wife said to him, Swear that thou wilt listen to what I shall say. He replied, Well. So she told him what his son had done, and he mourned, and rent his clothes, and slapped his face, and plucked his beard. His wife then said to him, Kill not thyself, I will give thee of my own property ten thousand pieces of gold, her price. But upon this he raised his head towards her, and said to her, Woe to thee, I want not her price, but I fear the loss of my life and my property. Wherefore, O my master, she asked, Knowest thou not, said he, that we have this enemy, Al-Muin, the son of Sawi? When he heareth of this event, he will repair to the Sultan. Night 35 Morning now dawned, and Shehrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Then, when it was the thirty-fifth night, she continued, I have heard, O auspicious Shahenshah, that Al-Fadl said to his wife, Don't you know that in the background is my enemy, Al-Muin ibn Sawi? When he hears of this, he will go to the Sultan and say, to him, Thy vizier, whom thou imaginest to love thee, hath received from thee ten thousand pieces of gold, and purchased therewith a female slave, such as no one hath seen equaled. And when she pleased him, he said to his son, Take her, for thou art more worthy of her than the sultan. And he took her, and the damsel is now with him. Then the sultan will say, Thou liest, and he will say to the sultan, With thy permission, I will break in upon him suddenly, and bring her to thee, and he will give him permission to do so. He will therefore make a sudden attack upon the house, take the damsel, and conduct her into the presence of the sultan, and he will question her, and she will not be able to deny. He will then say, O my lord, I give thee good counsel, but I am not in favor with thee, and the sultan will make an example of me, and all the people will make me a grazing stock, and my life will be lost. His wife, however, replied, Acquaint no one, for this thing hath happened privily. Commit, therefore, thine affair unto Allah in this extremity. And upon this the heart of the vizier was quieted, and his mind was relieved. Such was the case of the vizier. Now, as to Nuruddin, he feared the result of his conduct, and so passed each day in the gardens, not returning to his mother, until, towards the close of the night, he then slept in her apartment, and rose before morning, without being seen by anyone else. Thus he continued to do for the space of a month, not seeing the face of his father, and at length his mother said to his father, 
O my master, wilt thou lose the damsel and lose the child? For it is long continued thus with the youth, he will flee his country. And what is to be done? said he. She answered, Sit up this night, and when he cometh, lay hold upon him, and be reconciled to him, and give him the damsel, for she loveth him, and he loveth her, and I will give thee her price. So the vizier sat up the whole night, and when his son came, he laid hold upon him, and would have cut his throat. But his mother came to his succor, and said to her husband, What dost thou desire to do unto him? He answered her, I desire to slay him. The youth then said to his father, Am I of so small account in thy estimation? And upon this the eyes of his father filled with tears, and he said to him, O my son, is the loss of my property and my life of small account with thee? Nur said, Listen to the words of the poet, father. I may have sinned, but men of understanding continue to give a generous pardon to the sinner. What is there for your enemy to hope when he is at the nadir and you at the zenith? Listen, O my father, rejoined the youth, and he implored his forgiveness. So the vizier rose from the breast of his son, and was moved with compassion for him. And the youth rose, and kissed his father's hand. And the vizier said, O my son, if I knew that thou wouldest act equitably to Anis al-Jalis, I would give her to thee. O my father, replied the youth, Wherefore should I not act equitably towards her? And his father said, I charge thee, O my son, that thou take not a wife to share her place, and that thou do her no injury, nor sell her. He replied, O my father, I swear to thee that I will neither take a wife to share her place, nor sell her. And he promised him by oaths to act as he had said, and took up his abode with the damsel, and remained with her a year. And Allah, whose name be exalted, caused the sultan to forget the affair of the female slave. But the matter became known to Al-Mu'in, the son of Sawi, yet he could not speak of it, on account of the high estimation in which the other vizier was held by the sultan. After this year had expired, the vizier Fadl Uddin, the son of Khakan, entered the bath and came out in a state of excessive perspiration, in consequence of which the external air smote him, so he became confined to his bed and long remained sleepless, and his malady continued unmittingly, so he called thereupon his son Ali Nuruddin, and when he came before him, said to him, O my son, verily the means of life are apportioned, and its period is decreed, and every soul must drink the cup of death. No, my son, that what Allah gives us as our daily bread is apportioned to us, that our allotted time is decreed by fate, and that every living soul must drink of the cup of death. Then he recited, I am mortal, great is the immortal Allah. I know for sure that I shall die. No mortal keeps his kingdom when he dies. The kingdom belongs to him who does not die.
I have nothing with which to charge thee but the fear of Allah, and forethought with regard to the results of thine action, and that thou conduct thyself kindly to the damsel, Anis al-Jalis. O my father, said the youth, who is like unto thee, thou hast been celebrated for virtuous actions, and the praying of the preachers for thee on the pulpits. O my son, rejoined the vizier, I hope for the approbation of Allah, whose name be exalted. And then he pronounced the two professions of the faith, and uttered a sigh, and was recorded among the company of the least. And upon this the palace was filled with shrieking, and the news reached the ears of the sultan, and the people of the city heard of the death of Al-Fadl, the son of Khaqan, and even the boys in the schools wept for him. His son Ali Nuruddin arose and prepared his funeral, and the emirs and viziers and other officers of the state attended it, and among them was the vizier Al-Mu'in, the son of Sawi, and as the procession passed out from the mansion, one of the mourners recited these verses. I said to the man who was appointed to wash him, would that he had yielded obedience to my counsel, put away from him the water, and wash him with the tears of honor, shed in lamentation for him, and remove these fragrant substances collected for his corpse, and perfume him rather with the odors of his praise, and order the noble angels to carry him in honor. Dost thou not beheld them attending him, cause not men's necks to be strained by bearing him, enough are they laden already by his benefits. Someone recited, on Thursday I parted from my friends, they washed me on a stone slab by the door, they stripped me of the clothes that I had on, dressing me in what was not my own. On the shoulders of four men they carried me to the chapel where people prayed for me, using a prayer where there is no prostration. All my friends prayed over me, and then they went with me into a vaulted house whose door shall not be opened, though time wears all away. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on coffee. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, please click on the link available on our many social media platforms or email us. Why not donate to our coffee to show your appreciation? Every bit helps and we thank you for your continued support. We love that our listeners love listening to us. Welcome to the vocabulary section for this episode. First, let's look at some of the terms used in this episode. Anis al-Jalis. Anis is an Arabic masculine given name meaning genial or close friend. Jealous is also an Arabic name which means table, companion, associate, or one who is sitting. Khatiye is an Arabic term for writer or spear. Zaini, Arabic name meaning beauty, adornment, grace, and excellence. Muin, Arabic name meaning helper or supporter. Fuddle, Arabic name meaning generous, honorable, superior. Sawi is an Arabic name meaning equal, equalize, right or forthright.
Oriental willow, also known as Salix babliacona, is a popular ornamental tree in northern China grown for wood production and it protects agricultural lands from desert winds. Lexology the study of the form, meaning, and use of words. Change of air means a different place from where one usually is. Change of scenery. Gazing stock. A person or thing gazed at by many, especially with contempt or curiosity. Pulpits. Raised platform or lectern from which a preacher delivers a sermon. Philology, branch of knowledge that deals with the structure, historical development, and relationships of a language or languages. Nadir, the lowest point in the fortunes of a person or organization. Zenith, the time at which something is most powerful or successful. External air, means open space to the sky. Now let's look at some of the vocabulary used in this episode. Impertinence. Lack of respect or rudeness. Locacity. The quality of talking a great deal or talkativeness. Contrived. Create, bring about an object or a situation by deliberate use of skill and artifice. Counterance. A person's face or facial expression. Medalith, to involve oneself in a matter without right or invitation or interfere unwantedly. Posterity, all future generations of people. Beneficence, the quality or state of doing or producing good. Anointed, smear or rub with oil, typically as part of a religious ceremony. Supplicated. Ask or beg for something earnestly or humbly. Auspicious. Conductive to success or favorable. Exquisite. Extremely beautiful and typically delicate. Reanimated. Restore to life or consciousness or revive or give fresh vigor to. Computation. The action of mathematical calculation. Impart. Make information known or communicate. Privily, confidentially or in secret. Extremity, the extreme degree or nature of something. Succor, assistance and support in times of hardship and distress or to give assistance to. Estimation, a rough calculation of the value, number, quantity or extent of something. Malady, a disease or ailment. Unremittingly, consciously, uninterruptingly or constantly. Apportioned, divide and allocate. Forethought, careful consideration of what will be necessary or may happen in the future. Approbation, approval or praise. Blessed, archaic or literary term for blessed. Lamentation, the passionate expression of grief or sorrow, weeping. Sobriquet, a person's nickname. Deflowering, 
deprive a woman of her virginity. This episode has been written, edited, and produced by Saf Big. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and or night. And may the journeys on which you are set upon be fruitful. Thank you for listening.